Hello and welcome to DevOps Sauna podcast. The DevOps conference has been organized annually as a virtual global event. Now we organize this event also as a hybrid one. In the 1st of November, the DevOps conference comes to you in Copenhagen. You can learn more and register at thedevopsconference.com slash Copenhagen. To build the excitement to this awesome face-to-face event, we are sharing a set of most popular talks from the DevOps conference in March 22. You can find and watch full video recordings online without registration at the conference website. Let's tune in. It is my pleasure to introduce our final speaker of the DevOps conference, Dr. Nicole Fosgren. Dr. Fosgren is a partner at Microsoft Research, leading developer productivity research and strategy. She is a DevOps and developer productivity expert who works with engineering organizations to make work better. She is best known as lead on the Shingo publication award-winning book, Accelerate, and the State of DevOps Reports, and co-author on DevOps Handbook, second edition. Please welcome Dr. Fosgren. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me uh, for my talk. Um, I was super excited to see that last one and hear some really fantastic strategies. Um, And thanks uh, for that wonderful intro. Um, So as she mentioned, I'll be talking about, you know, why, why do we even do this DevOps thing? And really, you know, one of the things that gets me up in the morning is finding ways to make developers stays better. And by developer, I mean, you know, anyone who is touching and working with code. So, you know, when we think about this, it's, you know, and I said, as I said, you know, I, it's it's what gets me up in the morning. Um, I, by the way, spent my days, my early, early days as a developer, I was a sysadmin. Now I'm a researcher and, you know, I spent a lot of time with code and a lot of late nights with code, spend a little bit of time on call. And so I remember what it was like doing a bunch of this work. Um, And, you know, what a lot of people don't realize or don't remember is that DevOps actually started as a way to make work better for so many people. So DevOps was originally called Agile System Administration. So Agile at least uh, one version of Agile, I think capital A Agile. (laughs) Agile originally started as a way for the business, right? Folks in suits to talk and work more closely with developers so that they could turn around requirements more quickly. And the outcome of that was that they were, you know, spinning code, throwing it over that proverbial wall to their friends running infrastructure, you know, sysadmins. And what they found is that it had a couple outcomes, right? One was that developers were sprinting all the time. And the two is that they were basically lighting sysadmins on fire because there still was that wall in between. And, you know, the, the infrastructure practices had not evolved to keep up because Agile was really only meant to address, you know, this development uh, slow down this bottleneck and the folks sort of working together or seeing how it affected everyone didn't like it, right? They thought this, this isn't the way we want to be treating our peers. 
And so Agile System Administration came along and they said, well, if this is helping us work better, you know, we sprint a little bit, but once we got this sprint down, we had a better cadence to work. We had better communication. We had better collaboration. What if there was a way we could extend this work? And so I like to think about that. And I like to share that kind of origin story because now so often we, we see DevOps and, you know, we hear about how it helps us deliver value and we help, we see how it helps, you know, drive bottom line for organizations. And we see how it helps us in the cloud. This started before the cloud and it really started as a way for well-being and sustainable work. So here's what we're going to be talking about today. One is really how DevOps helps us in many ways. I also want to talk about productivity and how productivity is personal. Um, I've been doing a little more work into productivity and now I've been getting a lot of questions around like, what does productivity mean? How can I measure it? And also, how can I measure it in ways that are good for me, right? Uh, I'll talk a little bit about tiny wins, right? What can I do today to make things a little bit better? And what does the future of productivity and well-being look like? So uh, when we talk about doing things better, right? We can develop and deliver our technology in better ways by doing it in this holistic way, right? So we want to be thinking about automation and process and culture, right? We can't just by this many, by now many of us know we can't just, you know, write a check, do some automation, uh, throw it in the cloud and it's all going to work. And I love that the last talk really, really mentioned that, you know, culture overlays so much of what happens here. So uh, the 2021 Accelerate State of DevOps report came out uh, from the team at Dora at Google. Uh, Dr. Dustin Smith led this work this year. And as a, as a quick reminder for, for those who, who may not be familiar, the way they measure and uh, that the Dora team has measured uh, software delivery performance uh, for the last several years, I led this work earlier, now Dustin Smith has taken over. How we look at software delivery performance is with four metrics. Two are speed metrics and two are stability metrics. So the two on the left are speed metrics. One is lead time for changes. So uh, the time from code commit to code running in production. How long is that? Uh, the second speed metric is deployment frequency. How often are you deploying to production or something that looks like production? The two stability metrics are time to restore service. If something goes down, how long does it take to come up and change fail rate? So, uh, you know, what's the rate that it takes to, uh, or when you push to prod that, you know, what's the likelihood that it will require human attention? Now, what we found over several years is that these move together in a statistically meaningful and statistically significant way. And by that, I mean, you know, for years, We've been told that if you move quickly, you will have instability. Um, what we found is that that's actually not true. By moving quickly in very smart ways, right, by having small batch sizes, you're actually much more stable because you'll have, you know, a smaller blast radius. Uh, and the inverse is also true. By moving very, very slowly, you introduce instability into the system. So here's what they found in the 2021 stats, in the 2021 study. They found that elite performers do better. So comparing the highest performing group and the lowest performing group, they did a lot better. So compared to low performers, the elite, uh, the elite group had 973 times more frequent code deployments. 
they had over 6,500 times faster lead time from commit to deploy. They had a three times lower change fail rate. So that means that changes are one third less likely to fail and a 6,500 times faster time to recover from incidents. And I love that on these 6,500 times, they actually had a little asterisk saying, this is not a typo, this is real. Now, it helps us reduce friction. It helps us remove mindless tasks. It helps us decrease our cognitive load. It helps us improve security. Basically, our increased and improved ability to ship code. And these code can be features. It can be patches. It can be infrastructure updates. It can be automating the things that we don't want to do. It can be so many things. It frees up our ability to do all the cool, fun stuff that we really actually want to be doing. And the other thing is that improvement is possible for anyone. Anytime anyone looks at these charts uh, showing where the low and the medium and the high and the elite performers are, and I encourage everyone to look at this. By the way, there's an appendix in the back. I'll post these slides so anyone can see. Sometimes they go straight to elite and they say, we're not elite. We're not even close. I can't get there. I'm done. doesn't mean that. You could be anywhere and you can improve. And improvement is just a path along the way. And the next thing I want to talk about, what we have our, you know, how we started discussing this is that DevOps improves developer well-being. So in the same report, the team looked at how a positive team culture, what they found is that this culture mitigated burnout during challenging circumstances. They found that teams with an inclusive generative culture, so this is based on the Western typology, were half as likely to experience burnout during the pandemic. I think this is huge, right? We've had, <laughs> we've had a rough couple of years, right? So this culture can really help bolster teams and give us strength when things are on fire, right? They also found that improvements in automation and continuous delivery reduce deployment pain and burnout. So it really is about improving culture, process, and automation, right? It's giving us these, these uh, you know, supports in all areas. Now, when we look at the 2021 State of Octoverse report, so this is some research that I led uh, with a team at GitHub. Um, we found that trust and respect contribute to a strong culture, right? So what else can we do to improve culture? We found that teams with high trust are most likely to have a healthy collaborative culture. And this is true in companies. So, you know, these teams were twice as likely in companies. It's also true in open source. I loved that with this very, very large study, we were able to investigate uh, folks working uh, within an organization, uh, you know, kind of loosely defined, as well as those working in open source repositories. So this is true across whatever type of, you know, code you're working in. Now, we also see that, you know, automation makes things better. So once an open source repository starts using actions with their pull requests, so actions is how you can automate your code in GitHub, we see a 33% faster time to merge pull requests and that 36% more pull requests were merged. So you can think of any way that you can automate, you know, something along your pull request uh, workflow. Now, how could you do this yourself? You can try automating any piece of your pull request to improve your team's productivity, right? So 
So by the way, as we go through a couple of these, I'll, I'll add some little tips uh, in these call-out boxes so you can see how you might improve some of your own work. Now, what we also found in the 2021 State of Octaverse report is that frictionless code reuse improves performance. We found an up to 87% uh, improvement at work and twice uh, a, a two times improvement in open source project performance. Now, what, what is frictionless code reuse? I added the definition uh, based on our research in this, in this top section of code. So examples are entitlement procedures, access restrictions, uh, information fragmentation, right? What is it that, that makes it hard to do your work? So in this little call out box, what types of things can you do today to go take a look at some of your work? Identify sources of friction, like lengthy approvals, poor indexing, maybe undocumented dependencies. What can you simplify? Maybe if you can't do it yourself, can you influence others to help streamline a process or document one of those dependencies? Now, we also found that documentation is super important. I know some days, I didn't love writing documentation, but some days I also really love writing documentation because many times it was one of the easiest ways that I could just bring joy to people, right? Because it made things so much easier to use. We found that across both open source and enterprise projects, developers saw a 50% productivity boost with easy to source documentation. Okay, what does, what does that mean, right? What is easy to source documentation? In our research, we had to be pretty, pretty specific with this so that we could study it. Good documentation is up to date, it's detailed, it's reliable, and it's available in different formats, right? People learn in different ways. Could be an article, could be a, a video, could be different forms. So what can you do? Take a quick look at the documentation that your team uses. When was it updated? Are there opportunities to improve it? Is it accessible? Is it correct? So take a look there. Now, I also wanted to touch on tiny wins, right? Sometimes we think that productivity has to come from a massive project or a huge lift. There's this great article that uh, Joel wrote about how sometimes we can just do small things and it has a big impact. So Joel did a tiny win on GitHub that just helped clarify how to compare base and compare branches. And he wrote it up on a tiny win. It was, it was a hit and I loved it. So maybe even think about what's a tiny win, right? Some people call these paper cuts. What's a little thing that just kind of irks you and really it would be a quick fix. And I love this XKCD comic. Anytime I can throw in and I'm happy. So remember here, Sometimes automating ourselves out of this repeatable work is the point. The key is what we can do with the time that we've reclaimed. I want the computers and the robots doing the work that I can do mindlessly because then it gives me more time to do this creative hard work, right? Because then I can solve new, hard, interesting, complex problems. And sure, I might do it one or two or three times to make sure I've got it down. And then I'll automate it. And then I'll go solve something else. Because what we need to do, what we need to have for hard work is brain space. Because then I can take a walk around the block or around the office. Right? Sometimes we need some of that time and some of that space. And if all I'm doing is 
redundant work, I don't have that brain space to do it. DevOps and automation and culture, the ability to talk to people and ask questions and look for opportunities gives me that. Okay, so now that we're talking about freeing up time and freeing up space and automating more things, that's kind of productivity. So what does productivity actually look like, especially now that we're coming out of, hopefully, coming out of COVID, right? People are asking me a lot of, how, what is productivity? How do I measure productivity? What is, what does it look like? Well, Shane O'Flynn had this wonderful quote saying, you know, Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities begins. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. When we adapt this to an engineering team during the global pandemic, I'd say we're doing very well. We're barely hanging in there. I feel this. I feel this a lot. So the TLDR on developer patterns, sorry, during 2020, at least, was that, you know, overall, our patterns, the overall pattern pretty much matched, right? We even had fairly consistent growth. Our working days, is when we looked by push window, increased by 25 to 50 minutes. So we got longer, which might make sense, right? Because we just spread out our day. Our work volume, a rough proxy by push volume, it didn't drop. It stayed the same or it increased. Our merge times, our pull request merge times got faster. Uh, it was up to seven hours faster in open source, about four and a half hours faster in at work. Um, so it shows that uh, we're saying it's a sign of increased collaboration. It could just be that we're sitting around our computers and like we're not taking the breaks that we need. So, of course, we can merge quickly. Do that quick uh, uh, PR review. So some people said, like, off the cuff, uh, higher productivity. But maybe, right? That's just not the whole story. That's the data, but it's not the, the what or the why. And it's probably not sustainable, right? We can't just keep burning. So what else do we see? A lot of additional research was done. And again, I'll, I'll point you to the appendix because I've got links to everything. So what did the developers say? Uh, for many of them, productivity hadn't changed or they felt like they improved. Many felt less productive, although some of them, you know, felt like that at least improved over time. Because again, remember, we had this big shift to home. The overarching theme, though, is that productivity is personal, right? Many people are affected differently. This is based on work styles, challenges and benefits they face. So here's kind of a, a deep dive. Um, this one study kind of dug into the good and the bad about work from home because it really was split. So here's what a lot of folks said about the good about work from home. And I'm actually going to skip into um, some of the statistically significant uh, patterns that we saw here. So what, what this group found is that while that was the major list of the good things about working from home, these things in blue were had the strongest statistical significance, right? So the things that people rated the very best were better focus time, less distractions, less time on the commute, and more time to complete work. And the things in green were also strong, but not the strongest. So some folks watching from home may feel like this is them. Now, let's go on to the things that were the bad things about working from home. Here we go. Okay. Missing social interactions. Lack of a work-life boundary. 
too many meetings, more distractions and interruptions, lack of motivation, poor homework environment, lack of childcare, connectivity problems. <laughs> so this is interesting because even just at a glance, before I get to which things were statistically significant, the things that were good for some folks, the exact same thing is bad for others, right? Productivity really is personal. Now, when we look at the things that are had the strongest statistical significance, we take a look here, and the strongest impact on productivity are the ones in red, right? Less awareness of colleagues at work, missing social interactions. It's hard to communicate with colleagues, connectivity problems for sure. Distractions and interruptions, whereas the other folks had you know, lack of distractions, lack of childcare and less time to complete work. So it's interesting because for some folks, the exact same things are a benefit as they are a distraction for others. So productivity really is personal. So it, it really is this balancing act, right? Now, this is another study. Uh, the data here comes from a diary study from, I want to say about a dozen people, and they took a diary study every day for several, several months. And kind of the, the TLDR from this is that, you know, the good was that they felt like they had improved productivity. They could be more punctual. Listen, it only takes me five minutes to get to work, get to my meetings. Uh, less attrition. However, the bad was that there were fewer promotions. When you're not in front of your manager, you're not really getting promoted. They don't see you. They don't literally see you. And workplace stress really can compound for those with the young children, right? And we did see earlier that, you know, for those for whom childcare is a concern, this can be really challenging. And I would say the worrisome is that we're not taking breaks, right? When someone's not walking past you grabbing lunch, you're some of us are forgetting to take lunch. We're not stopping for coffee when people walk by to grab coffee or Diet Coke. I love my Diet Coke. And we have longer work days. We don't have the cadence of work. So this study found, so by the way, the way this study worked was that at the end of the day, they had a quick survey to fill out uh, and a quick kind of reflection to do. And what they found is that just the practice of that reflection helped. 47% of folks said that that daily reflection, it kind of turned into, you know, what was the best and what was the worst. That daily gratitude reflection really positively impacted folks' well-being. They found that flexibility and time with family were the bright spots and that having resources for mental health really were important. Uh, now, the challenges was that coping with working from home was elusive, right, for some folks. Some folks really thrived and some folks still kind of found it a challenge. Uh, some folks really felt overworked and that motivation was kind of tough and that physical and mental health was a struggle. Now, each of us can do small things. You know, like, I don't want to walk out of this and have everyone say, oh, this sucks. <laughs> this is bad. We do have a handful of things that anyone can do to make things better for, for all of us, right? And we can do it in better and measurable ways. So we can have tiny wins for ourselves. Uh, at GitHub, uh, Irini uh, Kalyan-Baku and I did a, a little study because we wanted to see what could productivity look like for me, for us as a dev. Not for end managers, not for leaders. What does productivity look like for an individual? And what are some key things that we can take away to help an individual out. Uh, 
So this gave us quick and easy signals. And the, co the core question was, what makes a good day? And how can I have it more often? Uh, this was based on a holistic concept of productivity using the SPACE framework. Uh, it was published in ACM last year. It was the uh, number one uh, downloaded article from uh, 2020, I just found, 2021, I just found out. Um, yay. Uh, and congrats to my fantastic co-authors. Um, it focuses on the individual, again, measures for us, not for managers. And the goal, again, quick and easy measures with actionable signal. And the other thing I want to I want to go back to, it's based on this holistic concept of productivity, right? We're not looking at counts, not lines of code, not number of PRs, not number of things, because those just end up getting weaponized and they're not good measures of what we're actually doing. Hi, we are Ethicode and we organize the DevOps conference. We believe that at the heart of DevOps, is the culture of continuous learning and experimentation. And we would love to speak to you about how we could help you do DevOps better. You can find us at ethico.com. The links are in the description and have a great time with the DevOps conference talks. So what is this space framework? Okay, uh, it has five dimensions. One is satisfaction and well-being. It's how fulfilled and happy and healthy we are. By the way, there's lots of research showing that this is a solid measure. It ends up being very positively correlated with a few of these other dimensions. Um, P is for performance. It's an outcome of a process. So it could be um, the outcome of a build. It could be the outcome of um, your pipeline. It could be the outcome of uh, anything, right? Uh, activity. This is where your counts come. Okay, count of actions or outputs. This could be the number of tickets that you reviewed, the number of bugs that you fixed, the number of whatever. But notice this is only one of five things. Okay, uh, C is communication and collaboration, how people talk and work together. Or communication and collaboration can also be uh, documentation. This could be the searchability of a code base. Okay, E is efficiency and flow. Uh, so this is. Uh, the flow through a system, right? So how well the flow is, this is like lack of interruptions. Uh, this could be your ability to do work with minimal delays and interruptions. So all of these together is space. And by the way, I've got another side talk on space. Um, but when you come up with some measure of productivity, you want to have at least three dimensions of this. And as a side note, Dora covers about three of these. So Good Day Project is based on the space framework. So to capture this very quickly, we asked questions like, how was your workday? I worked with other people, like uh, along a scale. My work was interrupted. How many meetings did you have today? Today, I felt most productive doing these things and least productive and like kind of during time of day because, again, people are individual. Uh, by the way, the full instrument is available online. So I've got links here uh, if you want to do it yourself. Okay, so here's what we found. Uh, finding flow is key. Interruptions are a drag. Uh, minimal to no interruptions give developers an 82% chance of having a good day. Now, based on what they feel is an interruption. Interruptions throughout the day, you only have a 7% chance of having a good day. So, quick takeaway, find ways to minimize some of your interruptions. 
particularly if you're a person that like interruptions feel very disruptive. Now, meetings are both awesome and terrible. Keep in mind, collaboration is a key enabler of of doing work. Connecting with people can help us do more development. There's another study that shows that uh, one-on-ones with key people uh, are highly correlated with doing more development work, right? So some folks don't think of those as meetings. So keep that in mind before I say this next part. Too many meetings can be a blocker. Going from two to three meetings per day, reduce your chance of making progress on goals by 60%. So see if you can reduce or avoid unnecessary meetings. What's the meme? This meeting could be an email. Maybe it could be an email. Similar to the prior study, a two-minute daily reflection can help improve your day. So these uh, quick Uh, surveys at the end of the day took two minutes, we found. They were right around two minutes for almost everyone that participated. Developers really liked this quick quick check-in as a way to reflect. Very nice bonus. It was a wrap-up at the end of the day. We did it at the end of the day. Uh, And like I said, this this echoes the daily gratitude study. Uh, For more info, uh, including all of the survey questions and the example reports. So when we did this, we combined their survey questions and their daily activities. So it was an opt-in. Anyone who wanted to do it, they could. Um, It was fully anonymous. The data was only available to the researchers. It was not shared to anyone else, only to themselves. Um, So if you want to check out the study and... um, uh, some of the uh, we created some dummy data. So if you want to see what a report would look like, uh, you can take a look there. So what's next? What else could we do? Um, I think it's also important that we start thinking about the future of development and well-being. Right? Uh, how do new tools help us be more productive? Right? I think. We should continue to think about reducing repeatable things that we do and focus on new work. And I know I keep kind of harping on this, but many times I hear people say, like, I don't want to code myself out of a job, but your value is in your unique ability to solve problems, right? Um, Robots are very bad at creative thinking. They're just not great. Um, I think another interesting question is what is productivity when easy measures don't apply, right? Like, listen, we already know lines of code is trash, but lines of code, number of PRs, number of bug reports. What is productivity when we can prove that solving unique complex problems is really what productivity is? You know, some of the things that my team is, and lots of really good researchers are also thinking about are, you know, how can we think about, you know, reducing harm, right? What does it mean now that we're introducing AI into these processes? What is productivity, right? So I just joked about, except it's very real, lines of code is not productivity. What happens when tools like uh, Copilot and there are other open source similar tools, when someone else is writing your code, what does productivity mean then? Now is our value in reviewing code and coaching people. What happens then? What are our new productivity measures? how can we expand our conceptualization of what a developer is, what an engineer is? I think low code and no code really create new opportunities that are super important, right? How do we help additional people code? 
And what does that mean for things like technical debt? What does that mean for things like documentation? Because it's a wonderful, amazing, powerful tool, but it also means that we've hidden a lot of things under under the hood and under the covers. Um, how can we rethink well-being for work and for boundaries, right? One of the reasons that working from home was so difficult, one of the reasons it was wonderful is because you could just walk in the next room and work. But one of the reasons it was so difficult was because we'd lost that work-life boundary, right? It was just too easy to continue work and do one more email or check email from home, which I think many of us kind of already did. But when work was home and when work looked like home, it was just always there. So here's the TLDR, uh, if you haven't been paying attention. This, this is where I would joke, like, take a screenshot. Here's your credit for the day. Uh, we've chatted today about how DevOps helps us, right? It really originally was about making work more sustainable for people. And I think that really continues to be the promise today, right? It shouldn't just be about working more and more and more. It should be about finding ways to make work more sustainable and better for us and improving culture and communication. Uh, we've also talked about how productivity is personal. What works for you won't work for everyone. And I think we can find ways that make it work better for us. We talked about tiny wins and how there's a tool uh, or a quick little tool, right? A quick little survey that anyone can take to deliver insights just for you. Um, and I chat very quickly on what, what does the future of productivity and well-being maybe hold for any and all of us? So uh, thanks, everyone. And now I'm excited for questions and Q&A. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much, Nicole. And OK, so we have we have a few questions. And uh, the first one I'd like to start with from the audience is, I think when people talk about a DevOps engineer, they mostly think about the ops part, i.e. infrastructure, serverless, cloud, etc. Not the dev part, source control, CI, CD performance, etc. Dev part is thought to be mostly in software development teams' responsibility. I feel like they're named system administrator of old times as DevOps engineers today. What is your opinion on this? Uh, I, I, have, I have opinions. Um, you know, I honestly, I think you should use whatever name makes sense for you and your organization. I have seen DevOps mean sysadmin. I have seen DevOps mean uh, build engineer. I have seen DevOps mean SRE, mm. where SRE is kind of like sysadmin with a lot of system engineering. I have seen DevOps mean kind of a, a rover that, that handles the entire pipeline. I would say use what is meaningful in the context within which you're working, right? There's, there's not really one one answer. And I know that that frustrates a lot of people because they're like, well, but Agile has a meaning, but Agile really doesn't, right? Even capital A Agile, having a strict definition didn't help anybody because we still have 3,700 flavors of Agile. Yeah, exactly. But I was, is there like a minimum baseline at least to be able to say, I do DevOps or I work in a DevOps way? I, I would think that in order to say that you do DevOps, it needs to include cross-functional work, mm -hmm. a solid amount of automation, um, some type of lean or agile process, mm. and good 
I mean, I already said kind of cross-functional work, but a culture that is very generative, very inclusive, right? And you could be very dev heavy, you could be very ops heavy, Mm. but you need to be like coding and scripting a lot of your work, right? So like a lot of, and I I hate to lean too heavy automation, but yeah. And I notice I didn't say cloud, right? Because I have seen folks working in mainframes. I've seen folks working in firmware doing DevOps in really strong ways, but they are fundamentally reimagining the way they do that work. Cool. Yes, there was a question about documentation. So in one of your uh, part of the presentation, you referred to the good documentation and the definition of it. What is the best strategy to make sure documentation is kept up to date? Uh, There are a lot of strategies, right? And I think a lot of it honestly will come down to the team culture. Uh, I would not say bad, not ideal strategy is to assign it to one person because then it, you risk one person leaving the company and then it's just like out of sight, out of mind, and it never gets updated. I think a great strategy is when you share it among a lot of folks and you, you know, everyone updates as they go, you have, uh, documentation be a real, real, uh, not finger quote as fake, but finger quote as emphasis. Uh, it's a real set of work that is visible, that is rewarded, that is, you know, it, ticket that is ticketed, right? Like the documentation needs to be as real as issues and code and bugs and triage, because also when documentation is out of date and gone and systems break, no one has any idea what's happening. And it's, it's just as important and relevant. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, I think we have one one more question. We have time. Um, how can you put borders around the risk? Okay, maybe we've uh, kind of said this in a different way. But what kind of borders would you put around the responsibilities of a role of a DevOps engineer? And this is mainly because management seem to think that this person has to have everything, needs to be able to do everything all in one. Yeah. Uh, so some of this I would – sorry, all my answers are going to be it depends – <laughs> Some of this, I would also, I would also look uh, very much in the context in which this person is working, and what supports they have surrounding them. Right? Like, there's, I have a snark somewhere around. Like, there's no such thing as a full stack engineer, right? Like, do you want someone coding CSS down to the kernel? Mm-hmm. That's not real. This is never going to be real. And if it is real, like Netflix already hired all of them, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Like they're not real and you're going to have to pay them like 10 million a year. So Godspeed. Um, but if you want someone who can do a significant amount of the stack and you want to call them, and some people say this has to be DevOps because they have to do the entire thing, mm-hmm. then you need to understand they will be doing I don't want to say a marginal job. They will be doing an okay job of much of it. And that means that they have to be supported by experts in many of these things who are also willing to do significant amounts of collaboration and partnership with many of these people throughout. Right. And these people are probably going to be like hired, hired guns everywhere they go. Yeah. Right. Or if you're going to have, a DevOps engineer who is ops and they float or a DevOps engineer who is build and release eng, mm-hmm. 
then that, or it, it really depends on the organizational structure, right? Does that, I realize yeah. this isn't, it depends, but it, it very, it does very, very strongly depend on what the rest of the organizational structure and the expertise looks like. Yeah. I, I think, I think because um, otherwise it, everything fails, it just falls apart. Yeah. I think what I would take from that is, is be explicit in exactly what you want that person to do. If that makes sense. Yeah. Be explicit in what you want them to do, in what success looks like, in what their support structures will look like, mm. um, and who their stakeholders are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what their on-call looks like. And by on-call, I mean not just IT ops on-call, but like what their on-call to, like, for example, to dev teams or to test teams or to... Because that also, because some people only think of stakeholders in one way. Mm. I like to be pretty explicit there because that also helps uh, delineate and identify what's cross-functional and what's not. Cool. And if it's not cross-functional at all. Yeah. Did you have a... No, I didn't. I'm, I'm afraid we are oh, well, oh. out of time. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, the, uh, yes, I would. You do have more <laughs> questions, but we have no more time. Okay. Okay. Then thank you so much, Dr. Nicole Fuskren. It was an excellent um, talk and it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I have loved this format and thank you so much for having me. It's been super fun being on live. Thanks everyone for joining. Thank you for listening. You can find the link to other conference talks in the show notes. I would like to invite you personally to the DevOps conference in Copenhagen on November 1st. You can find the link to the registration page from the show notes. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating on your platform. It means the world to us. Also, check out our other episodes for interesting and exciting talks. I say now, take care of yourself and see you around. <laughs>